0: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker, sponsored by Michael
3: Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis,
0: KMOX.
1: And welcome back to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. And yes, we are live here tonight. It's always fun to hang out with you. If you miss any of it, you can get the Radio Rewind or better yet, download the podcast. Just do a quick search for Overnight America. Going to be talking some baseball here with a longtime baseball journalist and author of a book that you can find out now called Escape from Castro's Cuba. Tim Wendell, thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Hey, my pleasure, Ryan. How you doing? Good. So let me make sure. This is a fiction book, but you've wrote a lot of nonfiction. You've documented as a journalist a lot of what goes on in baseball, so you have a great love for the game.
4: Very much so, and uh, pretty much the backdrop to uh, Escape to Castro's Cuba is what's going on today, pretty much on the island in terms of baseball. Uh, The days are gone, Ryan, from Oh, say when El Duque got out on a raft floating across the straits of Florida, and now they're getting out on cigarette boats with the help of Mexican crime syndicates. So a totally wow. different kind of world.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I was looking at some of your other books. One was talking about the summer of 68, the season that changed baseball. That was a pretty good uh, era for the Cardinals. I'm sure that you probably have documented some of the things that they've uh, done over the years.
4: Oh, very much so. You know, summer of 68 was... Uh, you know, some of the interviews with that, with uh, certainly with Tim McCarver and such, and you know, pretty much the Cardinals, even the ty- old Tigers were saying, you know, we expected them to kind of maybe win the championship, which would have cemented their claim to a dynasty, you know, in the 60s. So it was, uh, you know, quite a World Series and quite a backdrop, uh, especially when you consider what was going on in the country at that point with the assassinations of Dr. King and Bobby Kennedy, etc.
1: Well, we had some of the great broadcasters here for the Cardinals with uh, Jack Buck, of course, uh, Harry Carey for those years, too, when he was a Cardinals broadcaster before going to the Cubs. And, you know, the Cardinals, such a big part of this community. We love baseball here in St. Louis. So being able to talk (laughs) a a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to think about how many players have come from Cuba over the years, but the checkered relationship between the United States and the country makes it a little bit difficult. But the people that have traveled to Cuba, just talk about, how big the game is there.
4: Oh, it's just huge. And it's something that overwhelmed me, uh, Ryan, when I first went. My first trip was in 1991, and uh, the Minnesota Twins had won the World Series, you know, being, being out the Atlanta Braves. And and I, you know, I would covered that World Series the first year of Baseball Weekly. I was one of the founders with that. And then I went down to Cuba, and I was blown away, first of all, by the level of play. But the other thing that really got under my skin or surprised me was kind of the disconnect in terms of images and such and what i mean by that is my very first game there exhibition game between the US Olympic team before Barcelona, uh, Team Cuba. And I'm sitting in the stands because they don't really have a press box, and that's fine. I was with Bill Brubaker and Dan LeBetard. We had all gone down uh, as part of this trip. And this older gentleman, a Cuban, came down and, and kind of sat next to me at the end of the aisle. And he said, tell me about the Minnesota Twins. And I kind of went into my sports talk radio thing a little bit saying, well, it'll be difficult <laughs> for them to repeat. You know, they don't have a lot a lot of money blah 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 and he kind of cut me off and said I know all that and I went okay what do you want to know and he said what do they look like and because they don't get the TV images and I went around put Ken Herbeck what at first base Chuck Knoblock, Jack Morris on the mound and finished with Kirby Puckett in center field a guy who's difficult enough to describe in English let alone my broken Spanish and as I'm doing so I'm looking out at the field trying to draw mental images and the other guys are trying to help me And when I was done, I looked back at this Cuban guy and uh, older gentleman, and he stood up and he said, thank you, now I know. And he had tears running down his face. And I went, wow, we're in a different world when it comes to baseball.
1: Yeah, no kidding. And you mentioned Dan Levitard. I didn't know that you were tra- traveling and uh, still together in, in that time. And it reminds me of some of the headlines that he made a couple of years back when President Obama traveled down to Cuba to go watch a game. And Dan was just so upset. He said, you don't know the way they treat their people. And this is a big slap in the face. We shouldn't be rewarding them right now. I mean, it's a, it's, it's terrible The what goes on in Cuba at a time. And but to say we're just going to go on vacation and watch a game down there to make it sound like everything's normal, that's anything but normal.
4: Yeah, very much. And, uh, you know, Dan and I maybe disagree a little bit. And it's tough for me to, you know, disagree too much with him because, you know, he's, um, you know, he's, he's uh, his parents were from Cuba and, and such family was from Cuba. But at times, I think maybe the way to really zing the, the Cuban government is they're hungry for our culture. They're hungry for our games, our, you know, sense music. uh, They want to be part of the world. And I think that's what we can, in a sense, hold out there as a carrot, so to speak. In some ways, Cuba still reminds me of maybe the old Eastern Bloc countries before everything came crumbling down and how it wasn't so much, you know, force at times and embargo, but culture that kind of won the day.
1: Yeah. So when was the last time you were in Cuba and do you plan on going back anytime soon? Sure.
4: I'll always go back. Um, the, the last time I was down, <clears throat> Ryan was in 2017, and I thought I was maybe done writing about Cuba. I'd done a novel set there uh, almost 20 years ago called Castro's Curveball and and such, but we landed, and this was my fourth trip. I hadn't been in probably eight years, seven, eight years, and I had my wife with me for the first time, so I was a little nervous about that, even though... Uh, Havana's a, a very safe place, but you're never quite sure what's going to happen. And we landed and uh, on a Southwest Airlines flight, believe it or not, and we're walking across the tarmac toward customs, and this guy saddles in next to me, and he's Cuban. I can tell he's a plainclothesman, and he says, call me Ricky. And I went, okay, hi, Ricky, and I didn't really say my name. And then and a couple steps later, he goes, what brings you back to Cuba again, Senior Wendell? And I'm going, gosh, I haven't, cleared, I haven't cleared customs, and they know I'm back here. So that started a very interesting trip being followed a bit and such. But uh, the Cuban people are great. It's unfortunate the system they're, they
1: have to endure and live under. Yeah, that very unfortunate. Uh, baseball journalist Tim Wendell joining us here in his new book, "Escape from Castro's Cuba." Which, by the way, this is a fictional book, but you draw a lot of experience of what you know about the game, what you know about the country, the relations, and the players and the atmosphere. What can uh, people expect from a book like "Escape from Castro's Cuba"?
4: Well, I think they'll be entertained. You know, at first, I think you know some of the people who blurbed it include. Daniel Silva and Jane Levy and, and Louis Tion for another. But I think it also give folks a, a background and if they have a curiosity about Cuba. I mean, this is a very bizarre land, and it's only 90 miles or so away from the Florida Keys, but it's kind of very much, running like the, time, uh, the, the land time for God. And so it's like going back in Mr. Peabody's Wayback Machine. It's back to the <laughs> times, and it's not that difficult to imagine this people have to remember this was vegas before vegas and granted it's changed it's under a socialist government but still some of the old hotels the hotel Nacional, the riviera is still there and you walk in the lobbies and oh there's the photographs of Ava gardner and humphrey bogart and lauren bacall and you go oh here we are we're stepping back in time
1: wow that is pretty neat I, and i wonder too about a few other things i'd like to get your thoughts on when it comes to uh cuba and baseball in general do you mind holding on after the break Oh, my pleasure. Love to. Baseball journalist Tim Wendell is joining us, uh, Wendell, excuse me, in his new book, Escape from Castro's Cuba. And if people wanted to find your book, where can they look?
4: Oh, geez. It's, it's pretty much, you know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, etc. cetera. And uh, they can always reach out to my website, too, for a signed copy,
1: TimWendell.com. TimWendell.com. We'll continue with them right after the break. It's Overnight America, KMOX.
0: Rewind live radio and don't miss a moment. Get KMOX live on the radio.com app.
1: Baseball journalist Tim Wendell joining us with his new book, Escape from Castro's Cuba. I love talking baseball history, things like that. And as a baseball journalist, Tim, I was curious your thoughts on this because it comes up every once in a while. Not necessarily a Cuban thing, but we find this in times like with the Dominican Republic. And, of course, there's a lot of love for Albert Pujols here in St. Louis. People Bring up the idea that maybe the ages were you know manipulated a little when they come to the United States in order to make them more appealing to ball clubs when you travel to other countries do you find that there is a lot of evidence of that happening
4: yeah I think so especially down in the Dominican Republic I I think Ryan it's um but I think sometimes you know certainly you don't want people lying about their age and you want to know the truth and such but I think sometimes we maybe underestimate how desperate folks are to in a sense get off the island so to speak whether it's cuba or dominican republic or even you know venezuela which obviously isn't an island but um you know and i think we underestimate it maybe on a couple fronts uh and it took me a while on several trips to cuba to have this sink in and actually omar lenares their great third baseman who's probably the may arguably the best player we never saw in the major leagues because he never defected, uh, was, you know, working, you know, trying to reason it out with me one night. Because I, I think, oh, you want to defect and get money. You want big contracts and such. And certainly you know, money's important. You know, money goes obviously a long way no matter where you're at. But the other thing drives them crazy, especially in Cuba, is they have guys like me coming in. Oh, you know, you might make a 40-man roster. Oh, you might... Um, you know, uh, do okay in AAA or something like that. They want to compete against the best. And so that's why I say exhibition series like we saw, oh, in 1999 between the Orioles and Team Cuba, that was a huge deal to Team Cuba, whereas the Orioles were somewhat complaining they had to play, you know, on an off day in this exhibition type of series. So I think that's something we, we kind of take for granted in this country. You know, you want to, you know, be a great uh, investment banker, okay, maybe you go to New York or whatever you want to write screenplays, okay, knock yourself out, go to Hollywood. We can test ourselves against the best. That's one of the things, especially for Cuban ballplayers, where it's very difficult for them to do unless they totally upset their lives and defect and try to get off the island.
1: Outside of baseball, what are the big sports that the people of Cuba like to watch?
4: Oh, boxing is is still huge. Yeah. Uh, still, track and field. You know, you think of Stevenson with, with boxing. But I think what's going to be interesting, Ryan, especially with Fidel Castro's death a couple of years ago, um, he was very much the de facto general manager, really, of the base, you know, the national baseball team, and they oh. poured a, a lot of money into their Olympic sports. You look at their. Medal counts, you know, outside of, say, you know, uh, you know, Russia, us, you know, maybe Canada, they're right up there. And I don't think that's going to continue. I think, uh, you know, the Castros are, you know, done with everything and, you know, Raúl's stepping down. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this big sports machine, which was just so uh, really preeminent, especially for a country so small for decades
1: baseball in general, as a sport, we all love it here. And yeah, there has been a lot of other competition in the United States over the years. We had, you know, America's game. And then you go through the years, you see the rise of the NFL and football and NASCAR and basketball and, you know, hockey to an extent. But you have all these other major professional sports that we all... Find a way to love in our whatever sport it is. We don't always cross over to every other one, but what's it like in Cuba? Does everyone love everything? Do they all get into all their local teams, or do you find it's also kind of fragmented in that way?
4: It's somewhat fragmented, but it's still, baseball is still king, and uh, yeah. soccer is coming on, but. One thing, you know, baseball's king for a different reason in a lot of ways than in our country. I mean, our country, baseball is the traditional game. You know, it's mom, apple pie, Fourth of July, all this. Whereas in Cuba, they've almost been playing it as long as we have, but it's been a game for independent Cuba. And what I mean by that is, you know, even before the Spanish-American War and such as the game was somewhat starting to catch on and the Spanish controlled the island, you could make in a sense, a statement, political, personal, whatever, if you, in a sense, refused to go to the bullfights, which were kind of the Spanish, you know, Spanish sport or whatever, and went off into the jungle and played this radical new game called baseball. And that's the way the thread has continued for a long time. And one of the things Castro did that was genius, you hate to admit it, when he came to power in fifty nine was the first thing he did was put together a barnstorming baseball team. They were called Los, Los Barbaros, the bearded ones. Castro <laughs> pitched, Che Cravera played second <laughs> base. He was terrible supposedly. But the people loved it. They just said, Oh, we've got leaders now who are playing our game and, you know, and it dates back to an independent Cuba and everything. And you know, you. It, you know, Castro may have been the devil incarnate, but at times he politically was a pretty savvy cat.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of Russia with Putin getting and lacing the skates up and getting on the ice to play <laughs> yeah. a little hockey or something like that. That's what it sounds like. Wow, is there any video footage of that that exists? I would love to see that.
4: There's not so much video, but there is a lot of photographs. You can find them even on Pinterest and things like that of Castro slinging the ball, and and that's one of the things. That, that really kind of blew me away when I first went there is how, now granted he wasn't maybe a great ball player, but coming out of high school, Fidel Castro would have been considered a blue chip prospect. He was good in <laughs> baseball, basketball. He played ping pong. He came to Havana loving sports and, um, and that was one of the things I first heard from Cuban, saying, you know, he came close to playing baseball, and and just think how the world would have been different, Ryan, if we had signed him to a minor league contract and sent him off to Modesto or Great Falls or something. <laughs> I mean, the world would have been a lot different. No Cuban missile crisis, no, you know, Khrushchev going on down into the big pineapples. So, and and uh-huh. it's funny because you know we we can smile and laugh about it, but. It was probably a little bit closer to truth than a lot of folks realize.
1: Uh, Tim Wendell joining us. He's got a new book called Escape from Castro's Cuba, which you can find among his other works. And I wanted to ask you about this. And this is uh, either a make or break moment for the interview, because it seems to be something that everyone locally here agrees on. When it comes to our pitcher, or excuse me, our catcher Yadier Molina, but when national writers talk about Yadier, when it comes to the Hall of Fame, they are they, it goes half and half. Some people say he belongs as a Hall of Fame catcher. Other people believe he doesn't. What are your thoughts? Do you think Yadier Molina deserves to be considered for the Baseball Hall of Fame when he retires?
4: Yes, and simply because right. of the the passion and, in essence. Not the passion, but you know, catchers have to handle so many personalities, and they have to do so many things well. And he does. And 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 frankly, the you know the main character in in my new novel, and even in the first one, is a guy named Billy Bryan. And at one point, when you're kind of putting things together, you can go, "Oh, right, he's going to be an ex-ball player. What position would he have played? He had to be a catcher. And he, you know, he's an ex-catcher, and in large part because. He's got God's view of baseball there behind home plate, but like Yadier, he's in a sense got to put up with all these burdens, you know, foul tips, you know, plays at the plate, plays in the dirt. Oh, you know, catchers, I I think we see why so many become such great managers and coaches because they see the game so well, and yet they've paid really stiff dues to get to where they are.
1: Mm, we're so happy he's back this year. It's someone that you. it would hurt to see him in a different uniform. Who's your home yeah. team, by the way?
4: Oh, I grew up actually in upstate New York, and believe it or not, and God, people are going to kill me, but my Little League team was the Red Sox. So I kind of followed <laughs> the Red Sox, but I go way back to when they would lose all the time. And when they finally looked like they were going to win, I th- I thought they were going to blow it again. I was out on the cell phone in my garage, and my brother had to call me back in and just say, you know, it's okay. You know, it's going to be all right. And then that was easy for him to say. He grew up a Tiger fan because uh,
1: <laughs> that half of the
4: family was from Michigan. They they had won in '68 and all these other times. So anyway, and also because I grew up near the Canadian border and my wife's Canadian, I'm I'm somewhat of a, a Blue Jay fan. I love those '92 and
1: '93 teams, the years they repeated. Huh. Oh, that's cool. Would you ever scan the dial at night? Would you ever catch a Cardinals game on kmox?
4: Oh, sure, of course, you know yeah. and uh, and you were talking about the great voices you know i I loved the fact you could you know span the dial and and hit certain areas, you know Detroit was another one and be and you weren't even quite sure you had maybe that city, whether it was St Louis, Detroit, whatever. Which just the voice. Oh, we got Jack Book, we got Harry Carey, and you're going, oh, I know where we are. And and I think that's where kids today are so spoiled. We can, we can, they can dial in all these highlights and all these things on the internet. They weren't like me under the covers with a transistor <laughs> radio, going, gosh, I hope I can listen to something here because it's it's kind of I feel like I'm on the edge of the earth. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. They're so spoiled. It's not even that they can dial up highlights. It's pushed into their face and they don't even know what they're looking at. It's just there's some flashy headline with it like you won't believe what this catcher did. And they don't know what they're getting anymore. Before, you have to really enjoy and savor a game and be able to find those things organically as they happened. And it was a little bit more pleasurable that way where you could just you could enjoy it more that way without it trying to be flashy and sensational. It was just, you know, pure love of the game exactly and and frankly that's something that we there's a shared passion for that in in cuba
4: um they they have a they have a setup down through the harbor it's kind of tragic in a way but these guys always build it roughly goes up three four stories They make it kind of out of scrap metal to try to pull in the radio or even tv signals from uh miami they call it the tower of babel and uh the the authorities (laughs) let them build it and then to a certain point when it gets too high and may they're enjoying it they're actually getting some games in the authorities come in and tear it down and Uh what do they do the next day they start building it again
1: how about that? Tim Wendell, again, if people wanted to find you online, your book, Escape from Castro's Cuba, and some of your other work, where can they look you up?
4: Yeah, uh, look me up on the website, uh, timwendell.com. Or, um, and, and there's a contact button there, but you know, many of the books, Summer is 68, you know, down to the last pitch, et cetera, can be found almost anywhere.
1: Great. Baseball journalist Tim Wendell, I've had such a great time the last half hour. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Oh, my pleasure, Ron. Anytime. Get to talk baseball. It's always fun. He joins us on the Bomarito Automotive Group guest line. After the break, our friend Brad Young, partner at Hairstyle Fisher & Young. Some latest news on Kim Gardner and some of the motions filed, explained by Brad right after the break. And a look at your weather on Overnight America KMOX.
0: Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports.
2: clock at four. Doncic.
0: Cardinals Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida, and King of OX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports,
3: mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinals Open Live. Sponsored in part by Norms Margin
1: Barn and Wilkie Windows. On your voice in the St. Louis Cardinals, King of OX. Joining us now, friend of the show, who was in just last week. Partner at hairstyle Fisher and Young. Brad Young, how are you?
3: I'm doing great, Ryan. Uh, It's great to hear you back on AM, and obviously now that Camo X is on FM, we get to hear you on both.
1: I know. You just missed out on that last week by a few days. You could have been one of the first shows to be on the FM side if it would have launched a few days earlier.
3: Yeah, but listen, you needed to be the one who christened (laughs) Camo X on FM. You needed to be the one.
1: That's what they say when you uh, launch a boat or whatever. They take the bottle and they smash it on the side of the boat. But in my case, the bottle probably wouldn't have broken. Then the front of the ship would have broke off. Kind of like, uh, was that Caddyshack, one of those movies where that happened? But essentially, oh, that's yeah. what I was afraid. Christening the radio station would happen with my luck.
3: Well, they could cra- if I would have been on the air when it went, they would have crashed the, the champagne bottle against my head. Would have and that would off. not have been pretty.
1: No, <laughs> you know, I saw this. This isn't getting more news because there was a uh, article post on the Post Dispatch, and it was a screenshot. And the screenshot was motion to disqualify the circuit attorney's office, and that seemed pretty significant. And I thought, well, maybe we can get Brad on to try to understand what might be going down here.
3: There's actually two things going on. First of all. The, the, the circuit attorney's office which is kim gardner she's the circuit attorney for the city of st louis uh she has filed charges against the investigator uh jetonia claiborne muldrow she's filed uh, kim gardner has filed uh, charges against the investigator who investigated her office mm. kim gardner's office and william tisby with regard to the perjury case that we've all heard so much about over the past several years mm-hmm. So now, on March the 16th, Kim Gardner has filed charges against the very investigator that investigated her, alleging that this investigator for the police department, again, Jatonia Claiborne, Muldrow, has somehow been involved with witness tampering. So the, the uh, defense attorney for Jatonia Claiborne, Muldrow, and I know this is complicated, mm-hmm. but the defense attorney has filed a motion to dismiss for two reasons. First, uh, that the prosecutor, Kim Gardner, obviously has a personal interest in this matter, since this very police officer investigated Kim Gardner. And then secondly, Kim Gardner filed the charges over a year after the last alleged act that was part of this alleged uh, misdemeanor of witness tampering, more than a year later, which is beyond the statute of limitations. So this really just reeks of, of... Uh, trying to get back at the investigator, to retaliate against the investigator, who has been investigating Kim Gardner's office.
1: So let me mention this. Um, There's all kinds of ethical implications when it comes to this, and there's similarities in the sense in the national narrative When Donald Trump was being investigated, they were talking about how he cannot have any part in that investigation, as in if they're looking into any connection between him and Russia during the Mueller report. And so many people, every single day, the headline was if he was going to interfere in that investigation against him. Um, The interesting thing now on a local level is the the ethical question. The ethical question Mm -hmm. of can a circuit attorney do this? And what are the motivations, considering that this was after the statute of limitations? Is there an ethical uh, problem with this coming up now? And on top of that, is there a legal question? Is there any legal problems um, bringing something like this up?
3: Well, there, there are many, and and, these, and the implications are profound, Ryan. First of all, you, you, you mentioned Trump. There were so many on the left who were stating that Amy Coney Barrett, could have nothing whatsoever to do with any case involving Trump because Trump appointed her to the Supreme Court. So their position was that creates a conflict of interest. And yet in this instance we have a circuit attorney who has now filed charges outside of the statute of limitations, beyond the statute of limitations, against the very police officer that has been investigating her with regard to the William Tisby. Mm-hmm. Now under Missouri law a conflict of interest exists whenever the circumstances of the case demonstrates a reasonable probability that the prosecutor's office may not exercise its discretionary function in an even-handed and fair way. Mm. And that's under case law going back decades and decades. So we, we saw in the, uh, in the McCloskey case that Kim Gardner was disqualified from both of those cases because she demonstrated a personal interest. And I think that you have the exact same issue here. And also it raises the, the prospect of prosecutorial misconduct mm-hmm. because she's harassing a witness beyond the statute of limitations. I mean, that's anyone with a calendar can figure out when the statute of limitations mm-hmm. expires. And so yet uh, her office filed it beyond the statute of limitations that just reeks of harassment, and there could be civil liability here for prosecutorial misconduct.
1: Wow. And I saw one comment on Twitter about this. Uh, where is the Office of Chief Disciplinary Counsel? So is it possible that she gets investigated for this?
3: Oh, it's very possible. And, and the question that you raised, Ryan, about where is the, the the Chief Disciplinary Officer here, well, it's only been a week since these charges have been filed. So you know, the wheels of justice don't move as fast as social media, I can assure you. <laughs> so it will it will take a while. It will take a while uh, for this to be investigated, for, charge, for a, a, a file to be opened uh, with the Missouri, uh, Missouri Bar Association to see whether there's any ethical breaches here. Uh, and they move very, very slowly, unfortunately. But I can promise you that there will be officials looking into this because it's got... It's got uh, misconduct stamped all over it.
1: I wonder, too, could this also be used in the future if she tries to prosecute someone? Could they point back to this and say, you know, she's known to harass officers and target cops. This is a prime example. We feel like there's a track record of her doing this. Thus, maybe she's not fit whenever there's some sort of case that involves a police officer.
3: Absolutely. In fact, this could... This could result in in potentially uh, guilty defendants going free. So let, let's follow this very brief example. If there is someone who's been charged with a crime, then at this point, uh, a defendant could take the position that the prosecuting attorney uh, only selectively prosecutes individuals, and that their defendant, the, the attorney, the defense attorney, would argue that their defendant is being selectively. Prosecuted, And here's evidence where Kim Gardner's office has only selectively prosecuted people in the past. So yes, this could be used to potentially allow guilty suspects to go free simply because Kim Gardner's office only selectively prosecutes people who break the law.
1: You know, and this might sound like a cheap shot, but and really there's only speculation for something like this. But is it possible with the whole statute of limitation thing, she just wasn't aware that you couldn't charge someone after a certain time? Like, is it possible that she was just so unaware of the law as a circuit attorney that she just didn't know? Or does this have all of the different fingerprints of it being intentional as a way to try to uh, cause trouble?
3: Well, I mean, you're, that, that certainly is a speculative question. I think the more, I think the more likely result, and this isn't necessarily any better here, Ryan. Yeah, but I think, the, I think, but I think the, the the more reasonable explanation is is that her office is at about fifty percent capacity when it comes to prosecuting attorneys. Uh, they're at about half staff because so many attorneys quit shortly after she started as the prosecuting attorney. So the more likely explanation, if it isn't bias, in other words, if this is not a retaliation against the investigator for the St. Louis Police Department, if that's not the explanation, the only other explanation is is that her prosecutors are overworked and didn't realize that the statute of limitations was coming up. Now, in the civil world, that's called malpractice.
4: All mm-hmm. right.
3: If, if I just, oops, you know what? I was on vacation. I forgot to file this lawsuit. If that happens, the first call I'm making is to my malpractice insurance carrier, all right? Now, that's not it doesn't work exactly the same for a prosecuting attorney, but in the civil world, that's called malpractice. Mm-hmm. And if that's what happened in a circuit attorney's office, there you know, they're going to have a lot of questions to answer.
1: Yeah, and you know, at best I guess the defense would be incompetence, but at worst, ethically bankrupt.
3: (laughs) It's it's a no-win situation. (laughs) I don't don't know which of those is worse. Either either we're out to get you, or we're so stupid we forgot to file the charges. I don't know which
1: of those is worse. Oh, boy, yeah, and this is not a good look for St. Louis. It was pointed out, too, Jane Duker on Twitter pointed out that this is exactly after the 60 Minutes piece aired, so probably no coincidence there, the timing of all of this. And that, it, so many people are very concerned. We're going to have a new mayor here in St. Louis here soon, and this week starts the debates. And we'll be able to get maybe an idea of how we handle crime. The thing is, I just don't know what direction the city is going to go into. Are we going to lean into more of this with the circuit attorney? Or are we going to see maybe a mayor that stands up and says, this ain't working? And we already know that uh, Jimmy Edwards is stepping down and when it yes. comes to public safety. That's so. A loss. Yeah, it is a loss, and there's a lot of uh, problems that we have in the city that just aren't aren't uh, getting fixed, and when I see things like this, I think this isn't helping. And um,
3: Well, that's why I'm really looking forward to tomorrow night on Camo X at 6 o'clock p.m. right after the Dave Glover show. Camo X will be simulcasting uh, the debate uh, between Tashara Jones and Kara Spencer. Mm-hmm. And last Wednesday when I was sitting in your big chair, you know, trying to fill your enormous... <laughs> size 18 shoes um, I pointed out that that this 500 million dollars that the city's getting uh, from the COVID relief bill that got signed into law uh, that neither Tashara Jones nor Kara Spencer mentioned anything about reducing crime with that money and yet crime is the most important issue right now for the city of St. Louis so I'm looking forward to seeing what both of these candidates have to say tomorrow night here on KMOX. X about how they could use that $500 million to reduce violent crime in the city of St. Louis.
1: Who boy. I'm glad that you gave that nice plug. Even on your days off, even the days where you're just a guest, <laughs> you're still previewing and pimping some of the uh, upcoming things here on KMOX. Maybe pimping's not the right word. But...
3: No, no, no. I prefer, I prefer previewing. <laughs> previewing. Far prefer previewing, Ryan. That's a... Far better term.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So we'll look forward to that. In fact, I'm really curious how that plays out. Michael Calhoun from the KMOX newsroom is going to be a part of it. And I think that KMOX being part of the mayoral debates is a great step now that uh, I know Fox 2 will be having the, the TV video cast of it and then hear live on KMOX uninterrupted. will be an awesome thing because I'm sure by this time tomorrow night we'll have a lot to talk about. Brad Young, partner at Hairstyle Fisher & Young, thank you for coming on to Overnight America. My pleasure, Ryan. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America KMOX.
0: Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. I'm
1: going to talk about how old I feel now because when I read this article at KMOX.com, says, all Missouri and many Illinois residents are being asked to begin dialing a full 10-digit phone number starting April 24th. I've always done that. I've never stopped doing a 10-digit number. It, mostly because when I was growing up, you always had to put it in. Always. All the time. I grew up in a city that was split in half by an area code. So depending on what side of the city you lived on, it depends on what the area code won. one One half was 313 which is the Detroit area code. And then somewhere in the nineties, they split my city that I lived in in half. And then the other half had a different area code. I don't know why they didn't move it around the city, but it went right down the middle. So whenever I would call my grandma who was on the one side, I'd have to do the one area code and all of that, even though we're in the same city, it was pretty uh, inconvenient, but it trained me to always dial the one in area code whenever you're dialing out. So anyone with a three, one, four, a 618 area code will be under a mandatory 10-digit dialing later this year. And that's because they're preparing for what will be a new number that they're adding on for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So we know that in an emergency, if there's a medical emergency, you dial 911. If there's an you need police, you need medical, whatever it is. If it's an emergency, emergency, that's what you dial, You 911. Under President Trump, he signed that we would create a new three-digit code for a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and that number is 988, so not 911, it's 988, and that will direct you to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And that starts next year, 2022. However, in order to try to train people and get people ready for it, you have to do the one and then the area code, then the phone number. And I've always done that. That's going to be strange, though, for a lot of people. I think if you're younger and you grew up in a cell phone era when you were young enough and you had a cell phone, it wasn't something that was new. It was just something that, oh, all my friends are getting their first cell phone. I better get one, too. And you grew up with a smartphone and all the. It seems like things like that are just by the wayside. You don't have to worry about dialing the area code all that much because it's either saved onto your phone, it's automatically put into there, and on most part, there wasn't a difference between long distance. There, there wasn't a, an extra upcharge for long distance, so you didn't have to think much about it either. It was just there. Now it's going back to it, so everything cycles back. Um, I don't know if that's going to be a weird thing for you to try to dial the area codes again, maybe. And I saw this, too, from Bloomberg, and they wrote an editorial Let's get rid of time zones, not just daylight saving. Uh, The biological time and global time, we don't need to sync both of them. That means we just have one universal time. That's what they want to do. Oh, wouldn't that be something? One universal time. So when we do the show here and we try to hook up with another country we've done uh, interviews with Israel and a couple of guests from there in the last couple of months. I think we've had two different guests from Israel. We've had people from Sweden and people from Australia and we have Canada different time zones, even here in the United States. If we do something on the East coast versus the West coast or whatever it is, I'm always having to try to convert the time in my head and I'm not great at it. I'm pr- I'm proficient, but I'm not great. But whenever I talk to the guests or the people that are booking the guests, I always have to be very specific this is the time for Central. Here's the Eastern. So whenever we book it where there's no confusion if, you know, what time we're supposed to call because, you know, being off by an hour is pretty embarrassing, which happens sometimes on accident. But if we were to have one universal time, wouldn't that be great? Where would we model it after? Would it be New York? Would we model it after London? Uh, what is it? I don't even think we could all agree on that, right? I mean, why would we be able to agree? Okay, who gets to pick the time? And then we'd have that wrinkle in time, right? So what would you do? You just erase time for some people? Or there would be a no man's land. So basically people would have to catch up and then it just all sinks from there. How would you do that? They say these squiggly lines are arbitrary. And it would be weird and disorienting if it was like, you know, it's 2 p.m. And you're sleeping because it's, you know, dark outside when technically your body feels like it's 2 a.m. or something. Wouldn't that be strange? I don't know if this would be any better. Uh, but some people are actually proposing that. There's been some people, uh, Benjamin Franklin even put an idea together that would try to sink a lot of the time across the country and get rid of time zones. Isn't that something else? So Bloomberg put this opinion piece out about it. Got a lot of people thinking. Got me thinking. I try not to think too much, honestly. Uh, in the next hour, we'll do our very best at not thinking. And if you want to call in, you can. You can not think with me at 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. A great way for you to reach the shows by texting, or you can message me on Facebook, Ryan Wrecker Radio. Uh, what's the update with what's going down at the southern border? Some news on that, and we'll get your calls on it, too. On Overnight America, KMOX. Tune in
0: is the audio platform with something for everyone.